doing? So good to see y'all. My name is Chad. I have the privilege of serving as one of the young adult pastors on staff here. Man, I'm so excited that you made the choice uh, to be here. It's going to be a great night. We're going to talk about a, a, a sundry of things, a host of things. And man, I, I, I think that every one of us that has come here tonight, uh, you're going to be challenged in one way or another. I think that uh, you come here tonight and um, God is going to speak to your heart in a very specific way that will evoke a response. And so I'm really excited where we're headed, and uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. There's going to be these seemingly estranged ideas that will beautifully collide through the letter that Peter wrote to the church uh, in Rome. And so if you have a copy of God's Word, why don't you turn to the book of First Peter, First Peter chapter 5. About six months ago, uh, my wife and I made the journey here from Louisiana, and uh, we were doing ministry down in Louisiana. That's why I'm wearing my gator boots today. And uh, having a great time there. God was doing great things, but we felt compelled and called to come to the, the Midwest and begin to um, just plan our lives here and begin to uh, get into uh, the lives of you guys, of young adults, and just see God be, uh, begin to, to radically move. And it's been incredible these last six months. And I remember when we were going through the process, uh, my wife was pregnant, and, uh, and I had a big event happening on Halloween night. We were doing this big dodgeball event. And uh, I was like, hey, baby, when, I, when we get through that event, then I'll go house shopping. She's like, Chad, um, I'm seven months pregnant. We need a house this weekend. And uh, typically she doesn't throw it down like that. So when she does, I'm like, okay, yes, ma'am. All right. Um, you know, and so anyway, I, I came up here and uh, we hired a realtor. Uh, we looked at a ton of houses um, over the span of about 24 hours. And we landed on this little house right here in Lee Summit and beautiful little ranch home. Got a lot of things that we were looking for and the wood floors, the character, had a little add-on on the back. Um, and so it's just really, really neat. But um, as the snow began to melt away, I noticed that my grass was a little bit um, splotchy in a few places. You know what I'm talking about? And so I was like, man, I, I got to have some good grass, man. I mean, I got to have the lawn, the pristine lawn. The kids could roll around in it. I mean, grass so nice, you could sleep on it. You know, I mean, just like the nice grass, got to have it. And so went to the store, didn't know what kind of grass seed that you buy in the Midwest. So I got this stuff called tall fescue whatever that is. Anyway, went for it and uh, got the seed. And anyway, got there, started tilling up the ground. In one area, I was really, um, really methodical and really precise, tilled it up, spread the seed, watered it, got the, you know, I didn't get the sunshine, but you know what I'm saying. The Lord took care of his part. Anyway, it was all good. And then I just tried a few other areas where I was like, man, I'm just going to, just going to plant the seed. I'm not going to really do a whole lot, water it a little here and there. But so the grass in this one area where I really did a lot of work, like more work than Drake did, um, I really, um, I'm sorry, that was unnecessary, uh, just seeing if you were listening. So um, it really started to grow. Like we have this nice little patch of grass, and I'm so excited. And, and there, are these, there are these key ingredients to growth, and, and it shouldn't surprise you a whole lot that when you work the ground, you water the seed, you get the appropriate sunshine, things begin to grow. And tonight, I want to introduce to you three seemingly uh, distinct things, but I want to introduce to you these three ideas that if we can apply these things to our Christianity, we can begin to see maybe some growth in areas where we um, have not experienced the growth that we, we hope to do. And uh, when it comes to following Christ, man, God has saved you to change you, that growth is the goal, that he doesn't expect you to be perfect, but he does expect you to make progress, okay? Can I get a witness? Not to be perfect, amen? amen? Thank you, Jesus, but make some progress. And so he's going to say these three, these three things out of his text. He's going to say, hey, man, you need to submit to the local church. 
And then he's going to say, clothe yourself with humility. And then he's going to say an idea that's like, keep casting your cares upon Jesus. And if we do these three things, it's almost like God is saying, look, these three things will equal to growth, just like I watered my seed and I, and I, I worked the ground and the grass began to grow. I want to invite you to turn to God's word in 1 Peter chapter 5 and And I want to just read, starting in verse 1, it says, The elders who are among you, I exhort, that word exhort, not a real common word in our vernacular. It means to entreat or to beg. Peter's like, oh, you've got to do this. And so he says, to the elders who are among you, you've got to do this. He says, I, who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ. That's awesome. Uh, Peter saw Jesus. like He he walked with him. So we're we're, uh, trusting a reliable source tonight. He said, and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. It gives us a little hope. He says this. He's like, I exhort you, I entreat, I beg you, verse 2, to shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers. That word overseers, it kind of sounds archaic or part of antiquity, but it's a word that means that you just look after somebody with care. So like I'm an overseer of my children at home, okay? I care for them. They don't call me overseer. That may seem like I'm like, you know, something weird anyway, but they call me daddy, and so I'm their daddy, and I oversee them. And so Peter's saying, like, you need to shepherd them, like serving as like a a spiritual father, if you will, not by compulsion, but willingly with a smile on your face, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, nor as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples, you can circle that phrase, being examples to the flock. The word example is the word tupas, not to be confused with Tupac Shakur, may he rest in peace, but there's that movie coming out. Anyway, Tupac, and what that means is that you leave an impact. You leave a a dent. Steve Jobs was trying to make his dent on the universe, but Peter's going to tell you that if you can apply some of these principles, you're going to make a real dent on the universe because I don't think Steve Jobs knew Jesus, but he's going to work that out because he's dead and gone. But we ain't worried about Jobs. We worried about you. Amen? And so Peter says that you can be an example of Tupac. You can make an impact on the flock. And when the chief shepherd, that's Jesus, when he appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. That was my southern preacher coming out. Likewise, you, younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another. Now, that's a mouthful. Let me just give you one statement. If you're taking notes tonight, I want to invite you to simply submit to the church. Submit to the church. Now, submission, it's a it's got, got to be like one of the least American words on the market, right? Like we just, I mean, our nation was built not on submitting but on rebelling, right? And so taking you back to 1776, July 4th, thank you. Okay, and so we are, we are a nation built on rebellion, not on submitting. And even in our day and age, we pride ourselves on our individualism where we, where we really don't like to uh, submit to certain institutions. We like to challenge the, the status quo. But Peter, he's exhorting the people to submit. I'm just going to be honest, man. Submission is really not natural to me. Is that anybody else in the room? Like, like if I, like, I I like to buck the system, you know what I'm saying? And and so when it comes to submitting, it's, it's really challenging. And early on when I was getting involved in church, I didn't grow up in church. And so when God uh, God began to kind of arrest my heart and call me um, into church and following him, I began to see something very, very um, distinct about the church. Like I saw 
that they were shepherding the flock. That word shepherd, you could circle that word. That word means feed, okay? They were feeding the flock. They were, they were preaching the Bible at the church I went to, but I had a hard time connecting uh, with the church because though they were preaching the Bible, the example that they, were, that they were leaving or that they were leading me on to was that once you become a Christian, like everything gets perfect. And I was like, whoa, 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 man, because like I knew some shady people and and the, the, the shadiest people I knew were like this on Sundays. Give us clean hand over the mouth. You know, they were doing all that stuff. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You, you got the Bible, but you ain't got the life. And, and they, were, they were leading on like there's this standard of perfection. And I had a problem with this. And I began to see like there was this, this misnomer, this misconnection in the church. And, and so when I began to, to get into a leadership position, and, and the way I got into a leadership position, just, just to be real, um, some of you feel like you're called to ministry. I mean, that, man, God be the glory for you. And that's incredible. Um, my call to ministry was not like Jesus wasn't like, hey, buddy, um, you've got a lot of great things. I, I'm going to need you on my team. And, uh, hey, is that cool? Could we, just, could we just handshake this, spit in the hand, whoosh, you know? Like, no, that didn't happen for me. Um, like, I just saw a vacuum of authentic leadership in the church. I saw that there was not a lot of men my age from my generation that were willing to stand up and to speak up and to stand on the authority of God's word, but stand on his authority in a place of authenticity. And I just didn't see a whole lot of that. So I was just like, hey, why not me? I'll, you know, I'll lead that Bible study. I don't, probably won't do it perfect, but sounds good to me. And so I just started saying yes, like I took my yes and I put it on the table with Jesus and he just gave me opportunity after opportunity. And for some reason, I don't know why, you may need to email the pastor Phil, you may need to let them know that, that uh, this guy shouldn't be in ministry, but for some reason, somehow, someway, because of my faithfulness to preach the word and just be real, I get paid to do this. Like that's ridiculous. Man, I'm like the luckiest guy in the universe to have my wife and get paid to preach. Come on now. Come on, somebody pinch me, right? And so, but I always want to be a pastor that does what Peter says here. A pastor that feeds and a pastor that bleeds. Let me explain. He says this in verse two, shepherd the flock of God which is among you. If you feel called to ministry or, or you attend a, ch a church, man, you, you better make sure that they are preaching the word of God it's about God's word. This is what will last forever. God says the mountains will fade away. Jesus says the mountains will fade away, but my word will endure forever. Peter said that earlier in, first, in, in chapter 1 that the, the flowers, they're going to fade. The flesh of men is like grass, and, it, and it, it goes away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And so we stand unapologetically and we preach the word of God, which endures forever to the souls of men which live forever. And the second thing we do, man, is we bleed. I'm so not on the, the camp that says you've got to have it all together in order to make it to the platform. Then when he says this in verse 3, to be an example to the flock, what makes a great example is not a perfect person. Like we're not trying to impress people. We're trying to reveal our own sinfulness so that people cannot deny the power of God in his people. That we're broken vessels that allow his glory to radiate out of the cracks and the crevices and the brokenness of our life. 
And, and that's how you lead a, leave an impact on people. That's how you leave your tupas or your, your dent on them. See, people, they'll be impressed by what you know, but they'll be changed by what you show in your brokenness. And so it ain't about somebody being perfect, but it is about progress and it is about finding and operating in this type of leadership. So Peter, he would say, hey, when you get this type of leader, here's the fitting response. It's, it's to submit. You need to submit. I need to submit. We all got to submit together. Ain't nobody above anybody. The, the ground at the, at the base of the cross is level. And the call unequivocally in the scriptures is that we would submit to God's plan, which is the church. And submission, guys, I'm telling you, if you want to write this down, submission is critical to the livelihood of the believer. But submit, man, we don't like, we don't like to submit. But when we submit, man, it, 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 you're, the submission that you offer is giving trusted people, that's key, giving trusted people permission to speak life. Submission gives permission to trusted people to speak life. When you submit to the church, to the elders, to people who are preaching the word of God and leading by example in repentance, in their openness, in their brokenness, you are giving them the green light in your life. And most people need you to offer your submission to them before they will stand in authority and speak life into you specifically. And so when we submit, man, it's, it's this incredible opportunity to gain wisdom. I'm in this community group with some young men. They're, they're all about 10 years younger to me, uh, than me. Where are my dogs at? Hoo, hoo. <laughs> hey, man, come on, man. Hey, hey, they're, they're here. They're here. They just like chihuahuas. All right, they're just little anyway. And so... Um, Come on, man. All right, all right, I'm a, we're going to have some accountability time next weekend. All right. Um, so I'm in this community group and, and loving, loving hanging out with these guys. So I'm, I'm about 10 years older than them. And this last week, we, uh, we get into this text. We're studying through First Peter. And uh, Josiah, one of our other young adult pastors, he did a great job handling uh, this passage where it talks about husbands and wives, men and women, the roles of men and women. And, and uh, I just kind of said, hey, this is where we're at uh, this weekend. And I asked him, I said, hey, how many of you guys want a wife? There's about eight of us there. And they're all like, yeah, man, I want a wife. Like, you know somebody? Like, is there a phone number I can call? Um, you know, I'm like, whoa, time out, bro. Calm down, all right? And, uh, and, and I said, okay, you want a wife? How many of y'all are praying for her? And two hands went up. I'm like, okay. Uh, what are you praying for her, guys? You, and they're like, I, you know, I'm praying. You know, this kind of gave me some vague. And I was like, all right, well, can I give you some wisdom? And they're like, yeah, man. They got their notes out. Like, this brother going to help me get a woman. That's what I'm talking about. And we just went down the list. And, and it was so cool because I was able to offer them wisdom because this, because they chose to submit to my leadership. And when we choose to submit, that is a green light to life. And I was helping them get the information that they need so that they cannot go after some girl that's cute and that thinks that they're the, the best thing next to sliced bread, but they can go after some woman that is godly, that fears the Lord, and that meets the standards that God has laid out for beauty. And I was giving them life. See, you can learn, you have to learn by experience. You have the choice. You can learn through your own experience. You can learn the hard way. Or you can learn through someone else's experience. 
I've been with my wife for 12 years, 10 married, and so I was able to offer them this, and they submitted to this truth. And so, man, we get wisdom when we're plugged in to the church, but man, there's so many reasons why, for one, for, for us, there's so many reasons why, for one reason or another, we are not plugged into the church. Like, our generation is just crazy. And, and so, uh, we were thinking about this this week, like, what are some of the reasons why we don't get plugged into the church? One of the reasons is um, because I got burned. Well, welcome to the club, man. The church is jacked up. My first church on staff, man, it was like, I was like shocked, man. It was crazy. All kinds of crazy stuff happening. And, and so, man, if, if you got burned, let me just push a little bit. And, and if you're here and you're, and you're kind of giving Jesus another shot, maybe some seriously wrong things happen to you for that. I am, I am deeply sorry. But please don't give up. Just because you had a bad experience with a doctor doesn't mean you don't keep going back. We said this earlier this year, just because you had one bad taco at Taco Bell at 11.30 at night didn't keep you from going back the next week. Preach. (laughs) And so don't let your bad experience with people steer you away or be the reason why you don't connect with God's plan, the church. Some, uh, a lot of us will say this, like, I love Jesus, but I just don't like the church. It's like, whoa, whoa, that's, there's a lot of problems there. See, uh, Augustine, one of our church fathers, he says that if you choose God as your father, then you choose the church as your mother. Okay, and if you came to me and you're like, Chad, I love you, man, but your wife, man, she just, oh, no, man. I'd be like, okay, cool, appreciate that, but we ain't going to be, because it's kind of a package deal, Right? And so you can't really love Jesus and not love the church. They're interwoven. Jesus is the head of the body, the church. And you can't, you can't operate biblically that way. And we kind of have this culture where we just, we podcast this pastor or we go to this place because the preaching's really good or we, we kind of church hop in our culture. And, and what that leads to is it leads to, to fat Christians, it leads to fat-headed Christians with all of this knowledge and shallow lifestyles because we're never known in the context of a community. And this is going to sting But to be loving speaks the truth. And if you're not actively involved in your local church, you're living a life of disobedience. Like Jesus, he, he had his guys in Matthew 16, and he looks at Peter, the guy whose letter we're reading, he says, Peter, on the boldness that you declare that, that I am the, the Messiah. He says, on that rock, that statement, on that boldness, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And when Jesus gave this great commandment, when he gave this great mission statement, he was envisioning a mission statement that would lead to a, a movement. And a movement is, is where these people, they, they get involved, they buy into the mission. And Jesus, he, he had in mind that you would be a part an integral part of the movement called the church. The author of Hebrews, he would later write in Hebrews chapter 10 in regards to the church. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, he says, And let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. In our generation, man, we are notorious for our lack of commitment We should be dubbed the flaky generation. And it's so so hard because 
God's mandate on commitment, like he says this, I think it's in Psalm 25, verse 4. He says that you make a commitment even when it hurts. And so God is demanding that we would commit to the church. I mean, think about Peter writing this. He's writing this to a group of believers who, they, they're getting persecuted for their faith, right? I mean, like, they're, they, they had somebody in their family, that, like their aunt, their uncle, somebody in their family that got snatched out of their home because they were praying to Jesus. I mean, if anybody had a reason not to be, be committed to the local church, the guys and the girls that Peter's writing to did. Like, I ain't trying to, I ain't trying to lose my life over this, man. I ain't trying to lose my life over Abundant Life Church, you know? Like, that's what they'd be saying, you know? But Peter's like, no, no, man, you've got to submit to the church. You've got to be involved, man. You've got to be known because that is where life is. And there's something mysterious that happens when we get involved in the church, and, and, and it's just incredible all that God offers to us. And I think when it comes to committing to the church, like, like we're not alone in the fact that, that, you know, that we all kind of struggle with commitment, but... But the reality is, is that you're not alone in the fact that you're not committed, but the fact that you're not committed leaves you alone. And so it's like we're all in this together in our loneliness. And if we would just get over the whatever that kept us out of the church, we would come together and be a mighty force for the hand of God. We are the greatest generation by virtue of population that's ever walked the face of the planet, so matter whatever we decide is going to be preeminent and whatever we decide to give our life to is going to rattle the world. And God wants to use our generation, man. When you submit to the church, you get three things at least. You get challenged. Man, you get stretched. You become a better you when you're in the church. You get um, community. You are known by people. People care about you. We have story after story after story of young adults who have begun, begun to get involved in the church and their life has been changed through meeting physical needs, through meeting spiritual needs. You get cared for. Guys, the best, we say this all the time, the best version of you is on the other side of community in the church. Submit to the church. Peter goes on, he says this, and be clothed with humility, for God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. If you're taking notes, I want to invite you to begin to think about this. Why don't you try clothing yourself in humility? Clothing yourself in humility. We are all born with this same um, just kind of misbehavior, a root of just issue, right? I've got a five-month-old that we had recently. When I say we had, mainly my wife did the heavy lifting on that deal. And um, anyway, she is born with this innate desire of selfishness. Like never has it happened in the last five months, um, and I have a five-year-old, nor in the last five years uh, for that matter, is my, you know, it's like, let's go with my five-month-old. Is she laying in her little pack-and-play that's right by our bed and, uh, you know, just kind of like a 3 a.m., 3.15 in the morning, and she's wet, hungry. She's never just debating, like, should I, should I not wake mom? She's, she's had a long day. She's married to, to my dad, you know. And, hey, man, I didn't need that, all right? I didn't need that. <laughs> and so never. Like, she just starts crying because who does she think about her? Pride is innate. We don't have to clothe ourselves in pride. Like, we wear pride naturally, okay? It's tattooed on all of us. And, and what Peter is trying to tell us is that when we operate in our pride, 
God is resisting us. And more specifically, we are resisting one of his greatest gifts, and that's his grace. So pride in this context is any resistance to the grace of God, that you have grace to the degree that you have dealt with your pride. And there's two ends of the spectrum here, like the way that our pride responds to the grace of God. The, the first way, or excuse me, let me just unpack grace real quick. Let me just give you a running definition. Grace is understanding that I cannot save myself. It is understanding that I want God's grace to save me, that I am incomplete without Jesus, that my good works are insufficient to have right standing before God. Grace is believing that Jesus lived the life that I should have and died the death that I deserved, and grace is saying, Jesus, I need you to save me. That's what grace is. And when we operate in our pride, we are resisting that grace. And so the reality is, the beautiful thing of grace is no matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, when you believe in Jesus and you receive his grace, he sees you immediately as a new creation. It's incredible. And this grace, when it comes to us, man, if, if it doesn't melt and move your heart, if you're not thrilled at the, si- at the sound of grace, at the, at the sound of you are forgiven, you have, uh, you have an unstoppable love from an eternal God, if you're not thrilled at that thought, you have a pride problem. See, pride, it plays itself out in one of two ways. One way is this, like, Chad, you mean to tell me that I'm that bad, that I need that much grace? Like, nah, man, I ain't that bad. God ain't that mad. I'm good, man. It's like, ooh, that's dangerous. The other end of the spectrum is, it can't be that easy. Believe? Like, like I've done these drugs. I've been to prison three times. You know, you lay out the list, right? You know? And I'm like, and, and you start, what you're saying is, I am too bad for the grace of God. And that's just as much pride as saying, I don't need the grace of God. And so Peter is saying, do not allow that pride to rob you from the most be- one of the most beautiful gifts. And understand that God opposes you in your pride. But listen, this is an act of his grace. When he is opposing you in your pride, he's trying to get you to the place where you will humble yourself so that you are ready to receive his grace. A guy named Jeremy Taylor, he's an old dead theologian. He said this, to thank God for every weakness, deformity, and imperfection and accept it as a means of resisting pride and nourishing humility. Because when we receive the brokenness of our life, man, it leads us to experience his grace. There's this a wonderful woman, a great gift of God. Her name is Johnny Erickson Tata. I'm going to show a picture of her. This is her riding a horse when she was a teenager. Johnny, she would tell you this if she was here, but she had gotten into this sexual relationship when she was in college. She was having uh, sex with her boyfriend, and, and she was really feeling conviction because uh, um, she knew the Lord, but she was living in this, this sexual relationship which she knew was not pleasing to the Lord, and she began to pray like God please do whatever it takes to help me stop sinning. Because she said every time we had sex, it just made me just feel like I was not honoring the Lord. And so she said, God, please help me. Whatever it takes. When she was uh, in college, a young adult, she dove into a, a, a pond and, and she broke her neck. And now she's a quadriplegic. And, and she's been changing the world. God used that injury to bring her to a point of brokenness. 
And, and here's what she has to say. This is beautiful. God, he allows what he hates to accomplish that which he loves. God hates pride. He hates it. It's the very sin that caused Satan to be cast out of heaven. And he will allow opposition to your pride so that he can get you to a place of humility where you're ready to receive his grace. He will do whatever it takes to break the backbone of our pride. But Peter's saying, man, there is a better way. And I'm all about a better way. I don't know about you, but I would rather humble myself instead of allow God to humble me, right? Like I'm like, God, put me on the humble myself. I don't want to break my neck plan, okay? And I've had to learn some lessons the hard way, just to be honest. But also, I, you know, you can choose not to sin. When you choose to sin, you're going to suffer. But you can choose a better way. There are some things you can do to grow in your Christian faith. And what Peter would say is, man, you've got to clothe yourself with humility. This word clothe, um, it literally means to put on the apron, to put on something that means that you are like a servant. So this is my apron of humility. And we've got to make a choice to clothe ourselves with humility. There's a quote that uh, Rick Warren said. He said that humility is not thinking less of yourself, but it's thinking of yourself less. And when you put on humility, man, you look good, all right? I mean, you can have some facial disorientation, guys, and a unibrow, but you're humble, and she will think like, man, there's something, I know he got a unibrow, we can fix that, but he's got humility. One of our young adults just got married, and she said the, the thing that she noticed first about her man is that he had humility. And so when you put on humility, man, you're you looking good, all right? Humility looks good on anybody. But we got to make the choice. We've got to put it on, all right? The Bible never says to be humble. It always says to humble yourself. Humility is not something that you are naturally. It's something that you do supernaturally, okay? And so we've got to make the choice to put on humility. So let me just lay this out for you. Some of y'all, let's just be honest. You're socially awkward. Don't raise your hand because that would be socially awkward, okay? Um, don't look at me. Just blink if you're sitting next to that person, right? Um, <laughs> and so um, when you're socially awkward, typically you don't understand conversational rules. And so let me just help you. I'm going to set somebody free tonight. You've got to clothe yourself in humility. You've got to choose to ask questions about the person you're talking with and quit talking about yourself all the time. Don't, know, don't nobody care about you that much except for your mama. So when... Let me help you out. If you are socially awkward in the house tonight and you enter in a conversation, clothe yourself with humility, ask somebody how their weekend was, and then listen. And then when they're done, you share about your weekend in one minute or less. <laughs> or how about this, like when you're just irritated, right? Like, man, 5 o'clock traffic in downtown, I mean, you're just like, you know, or you get around somebody like a coworker, a roommate, somebody, your mom, I don't know where you're at, but you, I mean, you were like just irritated. In that moment when you're like, I'm about to just claw somebody, whatever, you got to clothe yourself with humility. Calm down. You got to choose to clothe yourself with humility. Or how about this one? Um, you're the guy that's here and you're just like, you're the doer. Like you could do anything because you've watched 13 hours of YouTube today. You know, it's like you're the DIY guy. So um, you're getting ready to, to rerun uh, the electricity in your house. And you're like, oh, I watched a few videos. No, no, you need to ask for help, okay? It's not wrong. <laughs> clothe yourself with humility. Don't kill yourself with electricity, okay? Humility, electricity, humility. You don't have to do everything all the time with all people and impress people how much you know, okay? The last thing is, uh, man, serve. 
Man, clothe yourself with humility and serve. Like some of us, we get so frustrated in that moment where we've been, we've been serving. We, d- we did the dishes at home. We took out the trash. We stacked the chairs. We did whatever. And then like somebody didn't recognize our act of service and we're like, Oh, guess y'all, ain't, guess y'all can't be appreciative now. And in that moment when you feel like you're not being appreciated, clothe yourself with humility. Chuck Colson, one of the greatest Christians of the 20th century, he said that you know that you're a servant when you don't mind being treated like one. Peter says, clothe yourself with humility. He says to humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. And then he goes on to say this, and I love this. He says, casting all your care upon him for he cares for you. Number three, if you're taking notes, you need to keep casting your cares upon Jesus. This word cares is the word anxiety or worry. Anxiety or worry. Some translations say this, cast your anxieties upon Jesus because he cares for you. Anxiety is something we know about. Amen? Anybody? (laughs) I mean, check check these stats out. One-third of Americans will have anxiety within their lifetime. Over 50% of which occur between the ages of 17 and 34. That's paradigm. The, (laughs) The highest levels of anxiety are in our generation. Millennials the rate of their anxiety is significantly above the national average. 52% of millennials or people with anxiety admit to having laying awake in the past month due to stress and anxiety. 76% admit to experiencing significant anxiety due to the future job or economy. And some of you are getting stressed out just me talking about this right now, right? I'm having a panic attack, right? And what Peter would say is that we got to cast our care. This word care, again, it can, it can literally mean to be drawn in all these different directions. It's the same word that Jesus uses. It's the only other time it's used in the New Testament that Jesus uses in regards to uh, the parable of the soils, where Jesus is saying this comes out of Mark 4. He's saying that there's a guy that casts the seed on the different soils, and he says one of the soils, the seed or the, the plant of life, of God's provision, of God's growth of a, of a person was choked out by the cares of this world world, that your anxiety has the propensity, it has the capacity to choke out the word of God in your life. And it's a very big deal. It's not innocent. It's one of these church, I mean, one of these sins in the church that we just kind of tolerate, but it's crippling us as a body. And so Peter, again, he's going to say, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him for he cares for you. What Peter is saying is that if you want to do something with your anxiety, if you recognize you got some worry issues, if you recognize that you maybe brought in some anxiety, man, first of all, you got to humble yourself. See, anxiety always stems from an overconfidence in your opinion. Um, God, I know you told me to trust you with this, but I, I got an opinion on that. Let me just have it back just for a minute. I just need to just have it. And, and, and what, what, what Peter's saying is you've got to humble yourself. You've got to take the anxiety and you've got to trust it to God and say, God, I'm trusting that you can take care of this. The second thing that he tells us to do is that he says that you've got to cast your anxiety now, I love this because he's saying cast your anxiety. Now, he's not saying that it's like a one and done. Don't you wish like when you felt the anxiety, when you felt the panic attack, you could just like kind of catch it and then be like, 
I'm just going to throw it away into the abyss. And it never came back. But that ain't real. Man, anxiety, man, it just keeps haunting us. And he's going to tell us to consistently and to constantly and continually cast your cares, cast your anxieties. But how do we do this? What does it look like practically? And I know I'm going to give you this answer. It's going to sound like way spiritual. Um, and you probably predicted where I'm going. But let me just tell you that, that, and let me explain. So the way that you cast your anxieties upon God is you pray. And some of you, maybe you're new to the faith, or maybe you're just checking things out, let me, and you're like, pray, that's just kind of an intimidating, I know it's a simple word, but what do you mean pray? Like, how do I do that? How do I talk to somebody that I can't even see, and, and what does that mean, and how do I, like, what does that look like? Well, let me just tell you, if you know how to worry, which you probably do, prayer is basically the same thing, with a different end. See, um, worry is like running on a treadmill. I mean, you're just getting it. <laughs> Mile after mile after mile, but where are you going? Somebody say nowhere. And prayer is like running cross country. You're exerting energy in both situations, but one is leading you to nowhere, and the other one is leading you to somewhere, okay? And so prayer and worry, they're, they're very, very similar, but there is a difference that when we pray, we are literally worrying to God, that when we pray, we are casting our anxiety upon the Almighty. Martin Luther, one of the great reformers, he said this, that, that we need to pray and then let God worry. That when we allow God to take our worry, see, we are trusting that God has the capacity to carry our anxiety that we don't. And so pray. So a lot of us, um, we treat our anxiety a lot like these uh, balloons. Like some of y'all, like y'all relate to this, right? Some of y'all just anxious about um, the future. Is that anybody? Okay, yeah, that's a lot of us. Okay. Don't, I know you college students like, what the cream am I going to do? It's just killing. All right. Some of y'all more uh, in the professional world, you worried about money? No? Yeah, just me. Okay, y'all got, so we'll take up offering tonight. Um, some of y'all, I know this one gets everybody. Anybody ever get anxious about their relationship? Is there a man for me? Is there a woman? I mean, what's going to happen? Okay, some of y'all, uh, what about this one? This is real in my house, health. My, my wife is going through it right now. She's having some health issues, and, and then you get anxious on top of your health issues, which leads more health, you know, it's just like a never-ending cycle. Or uh, this one right here, how about the uh, insecurities in our life? You know, I mean, some of us get anxious just when we look in the mirror, you know? And we're like, you know, however, how am I ever going to have the confidence to even ask a girl out if I never get these traps? I need the traps and the calves. I need those. But I, just, I do calf raises and the shrugs that they just don't come in. So I'm insecure about my traps and my calves. Girls, you don't understand, but guys, you know what I'm talking about. Like, you're like, dang, that brother got good calves, right? Man, get them traps, right? All right. So here's what happens, right? Like, here's what we do. Like, we come into paradigm, right? And, um, and we, got our, we got our insecurities, we got our anxieties, we got our, you know, worries about the future, and we're like, hey, I'm just, you know, I've just got it under control. All right, I'm getting ready to go to paradigm. It's time to get my worship on. What's up, paradigm, you know? And then that one, like, oh, shoot, my insecurities, my traps, right? And then you're like, 
dang, he got more money than me because he dresses nice, you know, you get that back now. And it's just, like, it's tough because, like, our anxieties, like, you know, we know we ain't supposed to have them and we try to stuff them, but, but what happens, they keep, they keep kind of surfacing, right? And, and, and there's no denying that we all have anxieties to some degree. And, and what Peter is saying is he's noticed that he's not saying don't be anxious. He's telling you what to do when the anxiety comes. And here's what he says, and, and this is going to sound kind of cliche, and maybe you heard this, like maybe you got around the person that never is worried about anything, and they're like, man, you just need to let that go. Let it go. Get over it. Move on. It's not that big of a deal. No, no, it is a big deal. And, and you've lost sleep this last week over it. And I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not telling you just to let it go. I'm telling you who to let it go to. And so we get our anxieties, and when they surface, we just say, look, God, I'm going to trust you. I'm, I'm going to trust you with my future. And, and then we, we get our anxieties, and we say, look, God, I'm going to trust you with, with my money. I'm going to trust you. You're going to take care of me. And when they surface, you're like, oh, the uh, insecurities came up with the money. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to let it go up to you, God. And we just let them go one at a time. I'm going to let my health go up to you. I, know, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know if I'm going to get over this gallbladder issue or this indigestion. I don't know what it is, but I'm going to let it go to you. I don't know if I'm ever going to get married someday, but God, you know, I'm going to let it go to you. And we look up, and we've cast our cares upon Jesus. So the problem is in our cultures, we're so quick to run to the prescription rather than the prayer. One of our young adults on staff, he told us this, that when anxiety became real in his life, godly people in his life did not counsel him to go to the word of God. They said, here, you need this pill. Now, I'm not, I'm not trying to get into the weeds of whether or not you should be on pills or not, but if you're on prescriptions, let me just ask you this question. When was the last time you prayed over your medicine? When was the last time that you thanked God for the provision of a prescription? Because he's in that too. He ain't just in the Bible. So cast your cares upon the Lord because he cares for you. Invite God to worry about your cares and then choose faith. See, faith and anxiety, they need the same soil to grow. And that soil is the soil of uncertainty. When we are faced with an uncertainty, which is all of us, life is not mapped out, okay? Everyone lives a risky life. No one is certain of the future. We have a choice. Will we be anxious about this or will we place faith in this? See, Jesus is trying to allow us to be um, submitted to him and trust him with the future, uh, the details of our life and, and with what's going to happen. And Jesus is saying, I want you to trust me with your future and your present, that I want you to choose faith in the midst of anxiety because the soil of uncertainty can be toxic in your life. And anxiety has the potential and the capacity to choke the word of God, which is trying to lead you to liberty and life abundantly. And anxiety is a 
refusal to see how much God cares for you. Peter says to cast your cares upon Jesus because he cares for you. And there's no denying this because Paul would write in Romans 8, 32 that he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things that Jesus is saying, I tore my son to shreds for you, to try to communicate to you that you can trust me with your eternity and with your temporary, that Jesus is saying, I tore my son to pieces for you. I've given you the gift, and you're worried about whether or not I'm going to give you the ribbon. That we can trust Jesus, that salvation is rooted in this reality that we're letting God worry about our sin. That anxiety, it stabs at the integrity of God's love and it's not innocent. And if we want to live a carefree life, that's the title of the message, if we want to grow like that grass did in my backyard, we got to come to the overwhelming fact that God loves you more than you ever cared to imagine. And then trust that. Why would you, if you're a believer tonight, trust God with your eternity and not at least try to let your anxiety rise to him over your temporary? That salvation is, it's rooted again in letting God worry about our sin. And that the greatest way for you to have freedom over your anxiety is to submit And to humble yourself to the gracious work of God through salvation. And to submit to the local church. I want to invite everybody just to bow their head. I'm going to ask you three questions and then we'll enter in a time of worship. The song we're about to sing is a song that we introduced to you guys tonight. And the song says, unstoppable love that never ends. I love the bridge. It says, no past, no pain, no sin, no shame. Sometimes when we're dealing with something like anxiety or or pride, it, it evokes shame. We don't talk about these things. But no past, no pain, no sin, no shame can separate you from God's love. It says no height, no depth, no fear, no death can separate you from his love. And so three questions. Do you need to let your anxiety go up to God? Some of you, if you're wrestling with anxiety, I invite you just to hold your fist out on your lap. I want you to put into the, that closed hand, that thing that's just bogging, bogging you down. Maybe it's work. Maybe it's your looks. Maybe it's your money status. Maybe it's something that everyone thinks silly. I want you to put it in your hand right now. And I want you to imagine that you're letting it go up to God. And some of you need to let the anxiety go up to God and then keep, as that anxiety comes back, keep casting it to God. Some of you need to reject the pride that's in your heart that says, I don't need God or I'm too bad for him. When sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. And then some of you, maybe you need to submit to the local church and get involved so that you can be cared for, so that you can have community and so you can be challenged. So do you have anxiety that you need to let go of? Do you have pride that you need to receive salvation for? Do you need to join the local church? Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for tonight. God, we thank you that you conquered death and sin on the cross. God, you are amazing. And I pray that we would look to the sacrifice that you made on the cross and our lives would be forever changed. God, I ask that you would speak into our anxieties, that you would speak into our worries and our troubles, and we would 
be able to trust you with them, that you would give us the courage to let them go up to you. God, I pray that you would renounce a spirit of pride that would oppose the gracious gift of salvation. God, I ask that you would give us the, the, the gumption, the fortitude to get involved in a local church so we can be a part of the greatest movement that you instituted. Help us to be obedient to what you're asking us to do in Jesus' name.